Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Alan Stair. And I'm Donna Stair. This is the fourth and final season of our week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. Join us for this final season as we're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, stay tuned and stay cool. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to the WKRP cast. This week, we're getting a new transmitter by any means possible. Donna, what is our episode? We are going to discuss love, exciting, and new. The air date was December 9th, 1981. Written by Lisa Levin, story editor Lisa Levin, executive story consultants Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman, and directed by Frank Bonner. Andy wants a new transmitter for the station and visits Mrs. Carlson to ask for it. Andy ends up taking her out to discuss business, but she seems to be wanting more than a business relationship. This is one of the first places where we start to see actual air order of the fourth season diverging from what's commonly accepted as air order. If you look on imdb.com, this episode is shown as running on January 6th of 1982 instead of when it actually ran December 9th of 1981. No WKRP episode was originally scheduled for December 9th. The episode that actually aired on January 6th was the first run You Can't Go Out of Town Again. It shows on most run lists as airing a week later on January 13th. According to actual newspaper TV guide listings collected by Michael Hernandez, Jennifer and Johnny's Charity is what actually aired on January 13th. The next month is out of order, but we will get somewhat back on track with the January 20th, 1982 episode, Pills. Not airing new episodes from existing shows is common around the holidays. Usually, a network would hold off on airing the new stuff because December schedules mean most people aren't taking the time to watch TV. Plus, a lot of prime time in December is devoted to Christmas specials, both old and new. Running a new first-run episode this far into December seems like a dump on the part of the network. The new episode only placed number 66 for the week, and that's out of 73 entries. Amazingly, only seven shows fared worse for the week than WKRP. The title of this one, Love, Exciting, and New, has had me singing the Love Boat theme (laughs) in my head all this week. The title is lifted directly from the Love Boat theme. Love Boat had dominated on Saturday night, WKRP's most recent time slot. Now that the show's running on Wednesday nights, this might be a tip of the hat to their former competition. Those are the first four words to the lyrics of the Jack Jones hit theme song. Love, exciting and new. We're expecting you. The lyrics were written by composing legend Paul Williams, but Williams did not write the Love Boat theme music. Williams used music previously composed by Charles Fox. Jack Jones sang the theme for the first eight seasons of the series. Dionne Warwick did a cover version for the final ninth season. Let's get into the episode. We start out in the studio where Les is sitting on the control desk, leaning down to speak into the mic. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye Newshawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stair with her report about Les Nessman. Left hand, 
tip of the little finger. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cobb award-winning journalist Les Nessman. This was a very subtle bandage report. We almost didn't see it. Mm-hmm. Les is introducing a segment called Showbeat. Good midday, Mr. and Mrs. Cincinnati. This is Les Nessman with Showbeat. Our guest today, the actress Colleen Kent. Les sits up. Colleen is smiling at him. No one is saying anything. There's dead air. Les points to the mic and looks at Colleen. Oh, hello. (laughs) Ms. Camp, you're here in the Queen City for the opening of the new... Minaranovich film, are you not? (laughs) Um, what was that? Minaranovich. Colleen leans toward the mic. Bogdanovich. Yes, well, whatever. (laughs) They all laughed. Excuse me? Colleen explains it's the name of the picture. They all laughed. It opens in Cincinnati on Friday. And what about all the sex and violence? Les wants to know what Hollywood is out to prove. Well, Colleen explains it's a comedy. It's a family picture. Being the subject of a Les Nessman interview seems like it would just be nuts to be interviewed by Les. Well, he's got set questions. It looks like he keeps referring to a paper. But somebody needs to edit for him. (laughs) Oh, I felt so bad for her. Now, we do have a quick tech note about this scene. Sorry, Les, but this is possibly the most unprofessional interview setup we've ever seen. This is more awkward than one of those single mic man-on-the-street interviews where you keep pointing the mic into your interviewee's face. (laughs) When Sparky interviewed indoor soccer player Derek, Derek had his own mic when Scum of the Earth did their in-studio interview... They had another mic to use, separate from the main one. All three SCUM members had to share one mic, which isn't great, but at least the band had a mic and the host had a separate mic. Conducting an in-studio interview with only the board mic the way Les is, well, it's kind of nuts. And he's sitting up on the desk. The desk. She's in a chair, and he has to keep leaning into the microphone. It's very odd. Colleen said it's a family film, but it's as though Les is not even hearing her. Well, I am one American who is sick and tired of slow motion death. <laughs> this is PG. So there is some cursing. <laughs> well, not that I remember. Oh, well, maybe a little. Maybe a little. Well, I mean, hell. Hell? Hell? This is what Les was waiting for. He just pounces. I think it's about time that Hollywood made films we decent Americans could watch. Colleen tells Les she couldn't agree with him more. Les asks Colleen if she remembers the movie Gigi. Colleen tells him yes. Funny little fascinating Gigi. Colleen says yes again. Les tells her they don't make films like that anymore. Where's Chevalier now? Dead, I believe. (laughs) Les tells her, yes, that's right, and for a while, too. Maurice Chevalier, star of Gigi and the one who sang Thank Heaven for Little Girls, died on New Year's Day of 1972. The poor woman being interviewed by Les is Colleen Camp, and Colleen Camp is playing Colleen Camp. Colleen Camp really is an actress. She'd been working since 1973 in both movies and on TV. Her appearance here is a little strange for WKRP, but it's a normal occurrence for a radio station. It's strange because we've never seen an actual real person appear on the series to promote an actual product. Her IMDb listing for this appearance is as self. When Hoyt Axton made an appearance, he was there to promote his new album, but he did it as a fictional character on the show. Colleen is actually an actress who appeared in Peter Bogdanovich's 1981 movie, They All Laughed. She's here to promote the opening of the movie. They All Laughed was a troubled production. It was a big-budget, full-fledged Hollywood movie, both written and directed by Peter Bogdanovich. It starred Audrey Hepburn and Ben Gazzara. But the real story was the co-star... 20-year-old Playmate of the Year and actress Dorothy Stratton. Stratton was having an affair with Bogdanovich during the filming. Shortly after shooting, Stratton would be brutally murdered by her estranged husband, Paul Snyder. Snyder then committed suicide at the same time. 
This grisly story would become the basis of the feature film Star 80 and the made-for-TV movie Death of a Centerfold, the Dorothy Stratton story. The 20-year-old Stratton was played on TV by 23-year-old Jamie Lee Curtis. Why was Camp here on WKRP promoting a real movie? We couldn't find any answers. When we can't find answers, we turn to Max. Max Tash, who worked on every episode of WKRP, told us he remembers there being a tie between Hugh Wilson and either Peter Bogdanovich or Colleen Camp. Hugh allowed Colleen on to promote the movie as a favor. Since Stratton's murder, no one wanted to release the film. It also hadn't tested well, so 20th Century Fox shelved it. Bogdanovich, not acting rationally after Stratton's death, decided to self-finance the release. It was a horrible decision on his part. He spent an estimated $5 million of his own money promoting the movie. The total take for the entire run of the movie was less than a million dollars, even with this free promotion on WKRP. The attempt to get this movie out there would cause Bogdanovich to go bankrupt in 1985. We asked if WKRP got paid for the appearance. Max said it was a different time. Not everybody was out to get theirs, and it was possible for a show producer to do a favor for a friend. There's a creepy little footnote to this already bizarre and tragic story. In 1988... Bogdanovich married Louise Stratton. Louise was the younger sister of the slain Dorothy. Louise was 20 when they married, the same age as Dorothy had been when she was killed. Bogdanovich was 49 at the time of their wedding. Creepy. They would stay together until 2001. Louise wound up as stepmother to Bogdanovich's daughter, Sashi. Louise was only two years older than Sashi. Friends said Peter was somewhat obsessed with Dorothy. And that would kind of be carried out in the marrying of her younger sister. I that wonder is how just much weird. Louise looked like Dorothy. Quite a bit. Ah. Quite a bit. Hmm. Less mentioned Gigi. Gigi was a 1944 novel by French author Colette. It became a French film in 1949, then an American film musical in 1958. Les is referencing the musical. The 1958 version of Gigi was considered the last great MGM musical. It was written by the powerhouse Broadway writing team of Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe. Lerner and Lowe. Thank Heaven for Little Girls, which was used at the end of the network airing of Patter of Little Feet, came from the Gigi soundtrack. Thank heaven for little girls. They grow up in the most delightful way. Gigi was directed by Vincent Minnelli. During the 31st Annual Academy Awards, Gigi set a record for sweeping all nine of its nominations, including Best Picture and Best Director. The sweep record would stand until 2004, when The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, won all 11 of its nominations during the 76th Academy Awards. Although reviewers considered Gigi charming and visually interesting, they also panned it as a syrupy ripoff of Lerner and Lowe's much better musical, My Fair Lady. Les looks at Colleen to be a guest He's really kind of beating her up. But I believe I have made my point, haven't I? Colleen tells Les she guesses he has. She's very confused. So you're here in Cincinnati trying to promote this film when in actual fact, you'd much rather be lounging around on a beach somewhere in the South Pacific. Doesn't that just about sum things up? Colleen looks exhausted as she responds. I suppose you could say that. <laughs> Les jumps up, <laughs> grabbing the mic. Closing out his segment. It's called Showbeat. I'm Les Nessman, and you're an informed Cincinnati. Like he'd really prove something there. Les starts some music playing, then turns back to Colleen. Oh, that was great, Colleen. 
Good luck on that film. I hear it's quite good. Of course, he doesn't say this until after the mic is off. Colleen is glaring at Les. The door to the studio opens and Bailey and Andy come walking in. Bailey walks right up to Colleen and starts apologizing, and Andy goes right up to Les and taps him on the arm. Oh, Colleen, I am so sorry. No, no, it was fun. Come with me, Les. Les tells Andy to hold on one minute. He's clueless about how rude he really was. Uh, Colleen, I was wondering if I could have an autograph. It's not for me, it's for my brother. His name is Les, too. Les holds a clipboard with paper on it and a pencil out to Colleen. Just write to Les with all my love and respect. Andy jerks the clipboard and pencil from Les, telling him... Now, Les. Andy walks out of the studio door, carrying the clipboard with him. Before we leave the studio, we've got a quick poster watch. Yay! We didn't want to interrupt Ms. Camp at the top of the scene. The tubes are still here over under the album rack. The Doors Red Wedge poster has moved into the production room. We do have some new things happening on the door of the studio and the back wall. Over the Cincinnati map to the right of the door is a large format poster for Rod Stewart's new album, Tonight I'm Yours. This was Rod's 11th studio album released in November of 1981. The album would peak at number 11 on the Billboard album chart. Stewart moved away from the disco influence, which is evident on Blondes Have More Fun. This album added elements of synth pop and new wave on top of Stewart's rock traditions. The title cut was the first single. The single Tonight I'm Yours, Don't Hurt Me, peaked at number 20 on the U.S. Hot 100 and went to number two in Canada. The second single, Young Turks, was a smash. It went to number five on the U.S. Hot 100. Tonight I'm Yours is one of Stewart's most successful albums, selling more than 10 million copies worldwide. The top poster on the studio door is for Mink DeVille's fourth studio album, Coup de Gras. Frontman Willie DeVille had completely fired his backing band before this album. He said in an interview he had band problems, management problems, record company problems, and, yeah, drug problems. <laughs> Willie decided making music with his drug buddies wasn't getting him anywhere. For this album, DeVille fired his entire band. He decided to hire a fully mercenary group of musicians who were only there to play and get paid, not party. He said it was one of the best musical experiences of his life. There were no hits from this album, but the cut Maybe Tomorrow is noted as a rock anthem. This album will only peak at number 161 on the U.S. album chart, but it goes to number 10 on the Dutch album charts. Dutch rock magazine OOR named Coup de Gras the fifth best album of 1981. Under the Coup de Gras cover is a poster for the album Ghost in the Machine by British trio The Police. Machine was their fourth studio album. It was released in 1981 as a follow-up to Zenyatta Mandata. This album would peak at number two on the U.S. album chart. It will produce the number 11 U.S. hit, Spirits in the Material World, and the number three monster, Every Little Thing She Does is Magic. Every little thing she does is magic. Yeah. 
did find this poster on eBay, and it is somewhat rare. It's going for about 40 bucks on eBay. The term ghost in the machine was first coined in 1949 by philosopher Gilbert Ryle. The three icons on the front cover of the album were created using a 16-segment LED display. Grammy-winning Breakfast in America cover designer Mick Haggerty created the images. They are his impression of how a computer would see the three members of the band. They become the ghosts in the machine. Andy Summers is on the left, Sting is in the middle with the spiky hair, and Stuart Copeland is on the right with a fringe cut. We cut to the door of Andy's office as it's opening. Andy walks in, followed by Les. Venus is sitting on the couch reading a magazine. Andy is really giving it to Les. The lady was nice enough to take time out of her busy schedule to come over here and be interviewed by you. You grilled her like she was Adolf Eichmann. Why? Les looks Andy right in the eye. Because I play hardball, Travis. <laughs> Mike Wallace does it, I do it. A Mike Wallace reference in this episode wasn't even written by P.J. Tarakvi. Andy tells Les he needs to stop, it's wrong. Les tells Andy he could say the same thing about him when it comes to wrong. Oh, really? How so? Les says he doesn't want to say it in front of Venus. Andy tells Les not to worry about Venus. You tell me, what am I doing that's so wrong? Andy sits on his desk, waiting for an answer. Andy mentioned Adolf Eichmann. This would be the other Adolf from World War II. Possibly even nastier and more cruel than Adolf Hitler, Eichmann was the SS lieutenant colonel tasked with the logistics involved in carrying out Hitler's final solution to the Jewish question. The train cars, the ghettos, the concentration camps, the most iconic horrors of the Holocaust were conceived and carried out by Eichmann. Although captured by the U.S. at the end of the war, Eichmann escaped, and he hid in Germany until 1950. He then moved to Argentina. Israeli Mossad agents finally captured Eichmann in Argentina in 1960. He was tried in Jerusalem for war crimes. Eichmann was found guilty and executed by hanging on June 1st of 1962. You know who you don't mess with? You don't mess with the Mossad. No. They get their man, always. Andy is still waiting for his answer from Les. What has he done that's so wrong? No, I can't. Go ahead, Les. I want to know. No. Les. No. Les. All right. <laughs> you are dating Mr. Carlson's mother. <laughs> Venus, who's been trying to hide behind the magazine he's reading, slowly <laughs> lowers the magazine and looks at Andy. Andy stands shocked. What? Les tells Andy he's a newsman. He knows. Andy wants to know exactly what he knows. That you dined in public with her two nights in a row at Nick's. All right, That all right. you attended the opera with her on Monday night. All right. That you Les! Thank you very much. That'll be enough. Thank you. Of course, Andy. <laughs> Les leaves the office. Andy shuts the door after him. Andy turns to look at Venus. <laughs> Laughing as he points at the closed door, Andy sits next to Venus. He's obviously very nervous. He picks up the magazine that Venus was reading and starts looking at it himself. He doesn't notice the magazine is upside down. Venus turns the magazine over for him. (laughs) I love this. Did you notice when Les left the office... Andy and Venus stopped talking. They're still communicating, but we don't get any words for the rest of the scene. And it's It's a funny ending to that scene. Very funny. It's great visually. Go check it out. (laughs) If you didn't watch the episode, go look at the visual of it. Great physical comedy going on there with Andy turning the magazine upside down, but no words. And as Andy and Venus continue to chuckle nervously... We head into our theme. WKRP in Cincinnati. We come back from the break still in Andy's office. Let's keep the poster watch going in the programming office. Yay! Although Andy's office is quickly becoming the bumper sticker shrine, we do still have some posters tucked in around the edges. 
Charlie Daniels Hat is still here. The Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young compilation poster has been moved to the far left inset behind the filing cabinets. Andy's got a Fleetwood Mac theme going behind his desk. Stevie Nicks' Belladonna poster has been moved out of the bullpen hallway and is now hanging next to Mick Fleetwood's The Visitor promo poster. We did spot one new thing here. The poster under the monitor that says Get Jazzed in large letters. Look again. See the woman in the bikini? That's it. This is a promo for defunct L.A.-based jazz recording label Pacific Jazz. The label was active from its founding in 1952 through 1965. They were known for recording the best of the West Coast smooth jazz sound. The label stopped recording new artists in 1965. The label, with its extensive catalog, was sold to Liberty Records in 65. Liberty then sold it to United Artists Records in 1971. Then UA Records was purchased by EMI, in 1979. Here in 1981, somebody at EMI realized they had this catalog of big jazz names sitting around unused. This poster is promoting a series of classic Pacific jazz re-releases. Each one is a previously released album from a Pacific jazz artist. These releases got a cool new white cover with a small Pacific jazz wave logo in the center of the front cover. Then, in a reversed out band across the top, the specific performer name for that album was printed. This series released 17 different albums from West Coast jazz performers, such as Joe Pass, Buddy Rich, Les McCann, and Gil Fuller. Venus is still in shock. He's sitting on Andy's couch, stunned about hearing Les's news. <laughs> Are you insane? Andy tells Venus it was just an opportunity to talk business. Is it business to her? <laughs> of course it is. Now let's take a look at Venus's vibin' threads. Venus is wearing an amazing red ensemble. The shirt is two-toned red with French cuffs. It has a tunic-style front with the top two snaps unsnapped and folded down, revealing a patterned inset. The shirt is tucked into pants that are the darker red. The pants color matches the shirt's inset. He's also wearing a black leather belt. The door to Andy's office opens and Johnny walks in. Hi. What's happening? Andy's dating Mrs. Carlson. <laughs> which brings us to... The line of the episode. Well, which one? His wife or his mother? His mother. What kind of guy do you think I am? <laughs> Gee, Travis, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Venus couldn't hold it in very long, could he? Just blurts it right out. Andy explains it was nothing. He tells them they need a new transmitter. Sure, the old one was blown up, but insurance only pays for so much. Yeah, I'm trying to get money from it. How much did you get so far? Andy shoots them both a look and asks if they could maybe do him a favor. Just don't let this get around the station, all right? Venus reminds him. Andy, less knows. I just don't want Mr. Carlson to know, that's all. Oh, I don't think he cares. No. <laughs> <laughs> Andy tells them both it's just business. You sure she's not wooing you? Wooing? You heard him. Wooing. Wooing. Woo, let's talk woo. <laughs> woo is a word woo. taken from the Middle English or Old English word woogian or awoogian. The original use of woo meant bending or crookedness. It has evolved to mean bending in a certain direction as towards romance. Wooing is almost entirely reserved for matters of love, but it has also been hijacked by business, as in wooing a client. You heard him. Wooing. Wooing. The door to the office opens and Jennifer comes in. She tells Andy that Mother Carlson is on line one for him. Andy freezes. And then he responds, unblinking, in a very robotic manner. I'd be delighted to talk with her. I'm glad she called. I'd be glad to take the call. In westerns, when a guy turns over a card and there are guns drawn and it's really tense, that's what this feels like. 
Jennifer looks at Andy, confused. Good. Jennifer leaves, closing the door. Johnny motions to Venus they should leave. They both stand up to go, but Andy stops them. I have nothing to hide. I want you to hear this. Smiling, Venus and Johnny walk over to the side of Andy's desk. They wait for him to pick up the phone. I think they're glad that they get to stay in there. (laughs) Andy puts the phone to his ear and presses line one. Hello, Lillian. Uh, Yes, I had fun. It was great fun. The opera's always fun. Uh, Today? uh, No, I I don't. Uh Uh-huh. Well, yes, I'm going to one o'clock. Yes, I'll be there. Bye-bye. Lillian? Lillian. Lillian! Andy hangs up the phone, looking at Venus and Johnny. Andy tells them she said yes. When's the wedding? She said yes. (laughs) Yes to the transmitter. Or at least she wants to talk about it. That's all. (laughs) Johnny asks where he's meeting, Mrs. Carlson. Over at her house, of course. I've been there before. Hey, man, we all have. (laughs) He's always got like a next level statement about something. He's always in there for the philosophical. Andy asks him again to not let this get around the station. Venus tells Andy, "Eh, they won't. The door opens and Herb comes into Andy's office. He looks like he's seen a ghost. He stares at Andy with this panicked look on his face. Are you insane? Herb seems to have been talking to Les. Oh, wow. And as Herb is standing in the door, it's time. Herb Darling, fashion alert. Ladies and gentlemen, your director for this episode. (laughs) Herb's coat looks like a patchwork quilt. The theme is blue, but the design is crazy. Solid light blue squares are attached to plaid squares and tan squares. (laughs) It's a bold and abrasive mess. Herb has paired the coat with a cross-hatched pattern white shirt and a bold light blue, dark blue, brown and white (laughs) diagonally striped tie. His blue slacks seem to be sans a belt. No white belt is visible, no belt at all. We didn't get a look at his shoes. Since Frank Bonner is directing the episode, this is about all we are going to get of Herb. We'll see him one more time, but both Herb sightings are very short segments that don't really affect the story. Are you insane? (laughs) We transition to Art's office where he's just hanging up from a call. Jennifer walks in and asks, who was on the phone? Mr. Carlson tells her it was his mother. Yeah, she was pleasant. No, no, no guilt feelings. (laughs) Something's wrong. (laughs) Of course. She's dying. Art is sure she's dying. Mama (laughs) must have called to be nice to him before she goes. Now he's feeling guilty. Well, Jennifer assures Art there's nothing wrong with his mother. She's probably just feeling good because she foreclosed on somebody. Or maybe she's in love. Andy walks in just as Jennifer makes this last remark. Who's in love? Jennifer turns around with a big smile on her face. Mother Carlson. (laughs) Andy begins choking. He's having difficulty breathing. Mr. Carlson stands up and Jennifer's patting Andy on his back. Are you all right? (laughs) Swallowed my gum. (laughs) Mr. Carlson tells Andy he doesn't know what's going on, but his mother's really happy. Oh, Mr. Carlson, maybe you're in line for a new stepfather. (laughs) She might as well just kick Andy in the stomach. And love seeing Gary get some physical comedy. He's getting some funny stuff in these episodes. This is the most he's done, I think. I mean, you see his comedy, you see his nervousness, you see, it's great. And it's, he's in huge distress, but we're just laughing at it because he's doing it so well. Jennifer is laughing as she pokes Art in the tummy. (laughs) Andy looks like he's about to pass out. Jennifer, laughing, leaves the office. Art tells Andy he wants to strike while the iron is hot. He's going to go talk to Mama about a new transmitter. Andy says he wants to go along. No, I want to go along. No, I want to go. All right, well, why don't you go by yourself? No, I want you to go with me. All right, well, we'll go tomorrow. No, today. All right, how's new? No, one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got a ring first. No, I will. Oh, all right. Thanks. Uh-huh. We'll go in your car. Uh, no, uh, yours. 
<laughs> I love that interchange. That was great. That was so much I wonder fun. how many, if that was a one take. And Andy's deadpan delivery on that, and so fast, back and forth. That's... He can't get his breath. And da-da-da, da-da-da. Oh, it's great. So Andy leaves Art's office. I wanted to go in mine anyway. <laughs> we head to Mama's house, and we are so happy because Mama Carlson and Hirsch are back. Two of our favorite recurring characters, Ian Wolfe as Hirsch and Carol Bruce as Mama Carlson. They team up once again to steal the episode. We transition to Mama Carlson's house where Andy and Art are in the living room waiting to see Mama. Hirsch comes into the room. Uh, This way, gentlemen. Madam is in the billiard room, horsing around. Art thanks her. She and Andy begin walking to the doorway. Nice to see you again so soon, Mr. Travis. Carlson turns and looks questioningly at Andy. Andy looks a little like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> soon. What, 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 do you, what do you mean soon? <laughs> well, I suppose is the opposite of the word late. <laughs> the three men leave the living room. Hirsch could have been discreet here. He probably knew Andy wanted him to be discreet, but no, leave it to Hirsch to stir the pot whenever possible. We move into the billiard room where Mrs. Carlson is looking in a mirror on the wall, primping. Hirsch opens the doors and enters the room. Madam? Mrs. Carlson turns around with a big smile on her face as Andy enters. Andrew. Oh. Mr. Carlson steps into the room behind Andy. And my son. You can see Lillian's face just fall. Her smile remains but becomes forced as she realizes Andy's not alone. Mr. Carlson walks over to his mother and asks how she's been. Mama tells him she's fine. I must say I wasn't expecting you. Mr. Carlson points at Andy. Oh, well, Andy called, didn't he? I thought you might like to speak with the both of us. Mama tells them, of course, and she asks if they would like a refreshment. That was an amazing little thing that Carol Bruce did there right when they entered. She changed her expression from this very bright, happy eyes to... Disappointed, yes. Without stopping the smile. But you could tell it was, it went from genuine to fake. Yeah. As soon as Carl, Mr. Carlson walked in. And she did such an amazing job with that. Check out Carol Bruce. She is quite the actress. I think she has some experience. A little bit. <laughs> so Art asks for a lemonade. Good choice on a cold day. <laughs> Mama walks over to Hirsch. Hirsch, go squeeze a lemon. Yes, ma'am. I might suggest you do the same. We checked in to squeeze a lemon as a slang term. You can do your own research on that one. But we don't recommend it. Don't go looking for it. <laughs> Mama turns, hands on hips, glaring at Hirsch. Hirsch addresses Andy, still choosing embarrassing over discreet. Mr. Travis, would you care for the usual? And he's caught off guard. Huh? Hirsch is most certainly trying to embarrass Mama, but in the process, he's really taking some big shots at Andy. Mama steps in and saves the day. There is no usual. He'll have lemonade, too. Goodbye, Hirsch. <laughs> Mama's closing doors to the billiard room. This seems very final. <laughs> Goodbye, madam. Well, right off and out. <laughs> Mama tells Hirsch to just get the lemonade as the doors close. I love it when Hirsch is a booger. He's just being a little booger. <laughs> but that's so funny. I'll write off. And- Mama walks over to Mr. Carlson, making excuses for Hirsch's earlier comments. Poor devil's memory is completely shot. What a shame. Where were we? Mr. Carlson tells Mama they're there to talk about buying a new transmitter. You recall the old one was blown up by terrorists. Oh, indeed I do. Mr. Carlson is walking around the pool table, eyeing the balls already set up for a game. Look, son, a game. She knows his weakness. <laughs> Pointing at the balls, Mr. Carlson asks. May I? Well, Mama tells him, of course. Thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Mr. Carlson excitedly runs over and grabs a pool cue. He begins to chatter as he chalks the cue. You know, I, I was never allowed to come in here as a child. <laughs> Couldn't go into the Arboretum or into the gymnasium. My life was tough, but, you know, we, we, we got by. Mr. Carlson takes a shot at the group of racked balls as Mama takes Andy by the arm. She leads him to one side, taking advantage of Carlson's distraction. Life was tough. Particular reason you couldn't come alone? Oh, no, no. You've come alone before. Yes. When I asked to see you alone, that's how I expect to see you. Art is 
fully engrossed in his pool game. He's not hearing any of this. Please drop back later this evening. And he has a look of defeat on his face. Oh, boy, and I thought this was just going to be a business meeting. Ah. Mama laughs, still holding on to Andy's arm with both hands. There certainly seems to be more going on here than just a transmitter deal. Oh, no, son. Business and recreation go hand in hand. Many a deal has been made or lost on how well one plays the game. Am I right, Andrew? I guess so. Well, now, let's all play pool. Oh, good. Rack him up, son. Oh, yeah. Mama holds a cue out to Andy and asks if he would like to play along. It might be a subtle double entendre. Andy is certainly playing along. He grabs the stick from her. Mama begins chalking her cue and tells them she will go over the house rules before they start. When it's someone's turn to shoot, I tell them. If someone gets ahead of me, they lose their turn. (laughs) Everyone plays very hard, and in the end, I win. (laughs) Is that clear? Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Mr. Carlson is running from one side of the pool table to the other. Bear with me, Mother. Can't find all the balls. (laughs) Carlson is milking big laughs out of running around the pool table, checking the pockets. It's another example of Gordon Jump's amazing instincts when it comes to hilarious physical comedy. And you almost were thinking this was probably an ad lib on his part. Well, I, I think it was. That's what I got, because I think he was supposed to be ready as soon as Mama said... You know, and in the end, I win. Is that clear? And he was supposed to say, yes, ma'am, and then go on, and then they would go on. But he was still trying to find all the balls. From and shooting earlier. From shooting earlier. Because the scene just continues. Yeah. There were no cuts, no breaks. They're just and continuing. And he really couldn't find the final ball. And and I think he came up with that line, you know, bear with me, mother. I can't find all the balls. And that was hilarious. And he was bouncing around behind Andy, jumping from pocket to pocket. And he even looks up at one point and asks Andy, is there a ball? And they're pointing to the side pocket. standing in front of the side pocket. Yeah. And and I you can kind of see Andy kind of suppressing, suppressing a, a grin, grin. Yes. And then Mama too. So then he finally finds the ball, but and and Mama repeats her last line. As I was saying, is that clear? Carlson repeats his yes, ma'am response. Andy looks up and smiles. It's your table. Indeed, it is. Smiling, Mama takes the first shot. It's a pretty weak <laughs> shot. The cue ball ricochets off the cluster of balls and rolls right into the corner pocket, so a scratch. Good good shot, Mom. We go again. (laughs) We fade to black and go into a commercial break. Goodbye, Madam. Right off. I love it when Mama hits the ball and it bounces off and none of the balls move. Barely moves (laughs) the, the pack. We come back from commercial in the bullpen. It's later the same day. Jennifer and Bailey are talking with a very nervous Andy. Jennifer tells Andy they don't know what he's talking about. He needs to be more clear. Look, uh, say that you you work for someone, and they, uh, you know... Andy does a little jerking motion with his head and shoulders. (laughs) It's no big thing. It's very subtle. Actually, there's probably nothing to it. Absolutely nothing at all. But still, there is something there. Maybe. Jennifer and Bailey are just staring at him. How do you react to something like that? There is a beat, then... Well, I don't know about Jennifer, but I clean out my closets. (laughs) Jennifer tells Andy they don't know what he's trying to say. Andy starts pacing as he talks. I went out to dinner with you-know-who. Jennifer and Bailey are looking at him. They're really trying to understand, but they have no clue. Les didn't tell you? Tell us what? Andy's gesturing wildly with his hands, moving it in a circle in front of him. He's hoping Les did some of the intro work about his problem, but apparently not. And we went out to dinner again. We went out to dinner a couple more times. You and Les? <laughs> Jennifer is trying so hard to understand, but she's not getting it. Andy turns away, then turns back, realizing he's got to come clean with the details. No, no, no. Me and uh, Carlson's mother. Jennifer and Bailey gasp in unison, (laughs) eyes wide, mouths open. Jennifer hilariously and unknowingly quotes both Herb and Venus. Are you insane? (laughs) 
and he is slowly <laughs> nodding his head. Well, this has got their attention now. Bailey asks, what happened? She starts motioning with her hands. I mean... Oh, Bailey, no, 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 nothing, nothing happened. Andy continues to pace around the bullpen. Oh, but you feel a sense of pressure from an employer. Jennifer looks proud of herself like she just answered a question on a game <laughs> show. She's figuring this out. Andy turns to respond to Jennifer. Tech tip, be watching this scene for boom shadows. As Andy paces, they have to follow him back and forth with the mic. You will see boom shadows sweeping back and forth over the ladies. We see the door to the studio hallway is open. Mr. Carlson is standing just outside the studio door, but Andy doesn't see him. He's got his back to him. Yes, and that usually happens to women. That's why I wanted to talk with you two about it. You can see Andy's relieved now that Bailey and Jennifer are understanding. Mr. Carlson comes up behind Andy. Why don't you speak with me first? (laughs) Andy's surprised. Jennifer and Bailey look at each other. Suddenly I feel so uncomfortable. (laughs) We get a quick cut out of the scene. Are you insane? We cut into Art's office. Jennifer is animatedly talking with Mr. Carlson. She shouldn't come here. You should have gone to her. I know. She said she wanted to come down here. What could I say? What am I going to say when she gets here? Try hello. Jennifer and Art turn to see Mama standing in the open doorway to his office. First, it's the studio hallway door. Now this one, people really need to close their doors before having private conversations around the station. They both turn and say hello to Mrs. Carlson. Mr. Carlson tells his mother she didn't have to come down. Well, Mama tells him she had some business at the bank. Besides, I like to come up here occasionally to see you and... uh chat with Mr. Travis. (laughs) Jennifer and Mr. Carlson both laugh in a very uncomfortable way. (laughs) Jennifer excuses herself and leaves the office. She closes the door behind her. Yes. Mr. Carlson tells his mother to have a seat. He starts to sit in his chair and then he tells her he'll just come sit next to her. He sits down, puts his arm on the back of the couch and crosses his legs. (laughs) It's not working. Well, uh, that's wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He stands up and walks over to the table in front of the window. Leaning on the table, Carlson faces his mother. Mom, tell the truth. How have you been? (laughs) We cut out of Art's office into the lobby, and let's take a look at the newly updated dated lobby. We have some finishing touches to Jennifer's handiwork. There are new angled brush gold canister lights highlighting the picture in the seating area. There are now flush mount wall monitors rather than the ones that hung on the wall. We can see the WKRP call letters in a 3D gold-faced logo on the wall above the coffee machine. It's all very classy. What were file cabinets are all now file drawers. You almost don't see them because they are cladded in the same marble as the rest of the lobby. There is a brass-topped end table sitting between two low, antique-looking upholstered chairs in the waiting area. On Jennifer's desk is a black-and-gold rotary-dial vintage princess phone. We were curious. Where is that grandfather clock that we saw in the episode Three Days of the Condo. It's the one that Jennifer bought at an estate sale, but she didn't have anywhere to store it. Andy wasn't real thrilled with it, so maybe he got his way. It should look like the lobby of a radio station, not the Swiss embassy. We move out into the lobby. Herb is hovering outside Mr. Carlson's office door. He is leaning on the door with his ear as close as he can get without actually touching the door. Jennifer's sitting at her desk reading a book. She glances at Herb, a little smile on her face. Andy enters the lobby from the bullpen hallway. He sees Herb. What are you doing out here? Nothing, just hanging around. Bothering me. Bothering her. Andy walks up to Herb and tells him not to bother Jennifer. That's called sexual harassment. It is? That's right. And we're not going to have any more of that around here. Now... Go out and sell something. Herb makes a sound with his mouth. (laughs) Jeez. Looking perturbed, he heads out of the lobby. 
Before he gets through the door, Andy shouts. Sell that coat. <laughs> that would be a feat to sell that coat. I don't think he would get much for it. <laughs> no. Andy stands near Art's office door. Then he turns and he walks to Jennifer's desk. He's visibly agitated. Sitting on the corner of Jennifer's desk, he tells her he should be in there. This is my problem. He stops suddenly and he looks at Art's door. What was that? Jennifer looks toward the door. What? I thought I heard the door. I <laughs> <laughs> runs out of the lobby, big, long strides, headed out through the door, leading to the bullpen. His hair is flapping as he's running out. We move into Mr. Carlson's office. Mr. Carlson is sitting at his desk, chewing on his pinky fingernail and nervously tapping a pencil. Mama walks over to him. Oh, get a hold of yourself. Even horses don't perspire that much. Mama hands him a tissue. Carlson takes it and begins dabbing his head and his neck. He asks his mother why she makes things so difficult for him. How do you think I feel? Mr. Carlson says he doesn't know how she feels. I feel offended. Do I look like an idiot to you? No. Well, I certainly don't go chasing around after young men. All of this is in Mr. Travis's head. All of it? That was quite a grip she had on his arm by the pool table. Art turns and looks at his mother. He has the same question. All of it. Mama gets an impish grin on her face. Maybe not. Oh, my. (laughs) (laughs) Mama sits on Art's desk and explains she goes places. She does things. And it's nice to have a personable young man on your arm, particularly when he has uh, nice teeth and good hair. Ah, the truth comes out. Andy is arm candy. He's there to impress Mama's friends. Mama is smiling and looking quite proud of herself. And you have been using him to some extent. Mama tells her son Andy is an employee of hers. It's what you do with employees. Okay, so maybe what Mama does with employees. Well, what's the point of being in charge? And he, too, has been using me. He wants something. Mr. Carlson gives his mother a shocked look. Mama leans down closer to her son's face. A transmitter. Oh. (laughs) Mama sits up straight. And I want something. Mama smiles, a look of reverie on her face. Good hair. (laughs) Mr. Carlson is relieved. Well, that all sounds very innocent to me. Well, I'll just go tell Mr. Travis what you said. Mr. Carlson stands up from his desk. Mama stops him. Oh, no, no, please let me, Arthur. I have so little fun. Art isn't sure about this. Oh, I'll tell him tonight in my own way. Oh, my. Now, don't you say a word. Art says okay. He starts towards the door. But after giving her statement some thought, he's a little worried about Andy. He turns to look at his mother. You're not going to destroy his mind completely, are you? No, just rattle his cage a little. (laughs) Mama picks up her purse and her mink stole. I suppose Mr. Travis and I are the talk of the station. Oh, yeah. Thank less for me, will you? <laughs> Carlson opens the door for Mama, and they both walk out. I think Mama's going to have some fun. Mm-hmm. As Mr. Carlson and his mother are walking out into the lobby, Johnny and Venus come in through the main doors. We haven't had enough Johnny and Venus this episode, so <laughs> this is good. We get a little more Johnny and Venus. Ah, right. the DJs. Johnny and Venus say hello. Mama looks at Johnny. Dr. Fever... Would you turn around for me? (laughs) (laughs) She knows what they know, so she's messing with them. Johnny looks at Mama. (laughs) Mama repeats her request as she makes a circle in the air with her pointer finger. Turn. Johnny looks at Venus. Venus smiles and moves his finger in the same circle, (laughs) motioning Johnny to turn. Johnny... turns around, not taking his eyes off Mama. There's one second there where he has to whip his head around quickly when he's got his back to her. Johnny is looking at Mama perplexed. Have you got all your teeth? (laughs) (laughs) And in what I think was a hilarious response to that question, Johnny starts counting his teeth with his tongue. (laughs) That's a great visual because his tongue comes out from under that mustache. His mustache keeps kind of bumping up and down (laughs) under the tongue. I think so. Mama shoots a look at Art. Wrap this one up and send him over. 
smiling mama strides out of the office. <laughs> Venus smiles at Johnny. Look like you're going to work in the big house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, a comment most likely inspired by Roots, but one only mm-hmm. Venus can get away with saying. Venus pats Johnny on the back, and they head to the bullpen. Have you got all your teeth? We go back to Mama's house. This time, we start out in the billiard room. The door is open, and Hirsch ushers Travis in. Madam specifically asks that you wait for her in the game room. Hirsch's eyebrows move up and down when he says, game room. Andy begins pacing. Hirsch holds up a tray with two drinks on it. Here is your drink. Andy takes one of the drinks and starts to put it to his lips. Very strong. Recall Mama's fondness for the Silver Bullet cocktail, considered one of the strongest mixed drinks you can make? Hirsch turns to leave. Andy calls after Hirsch. Where where are you going? Oh, Madam also specifically asked that I leave. Get lost, was how I believe she put it. (laughs) Hirsch begins backing out, pulling the doors closed. Goodbye, Mr. Travis, and good luck. (laughs) Hirsch disappears behind the closing doors. (laughs) Poor Andy. Andy puts his drink on the edge of the pool table, leans on the table, and takes a deep breath. Setting a drink on the edge of a felt-top table just did not seem like a good idea, but Andy's not thinking straight. (laughs) The table's been set for a game. Andy walks over to the rack of cues and picks one. He lines up his cue and takes a shot. Walking over to the side of the table, he gets ready to set up his second shot when he accidentally knocks his drink over, spilling it right onto the pool table. He quickly picks up the glass and the olive. Oh, no. There is no towel to be found anywhere. Hirsch! What do you do when there's problems in Mama's house? You shout Hirsch. (laughs) But nothing happened. Nothing happened. Andy takes off his jacket and begins wiping at the puddle on the table. He then climbs up onto the table on all fours so he can apply more pressure, hoping to soak up as much of the liquid as he can. As if he wasn't nervous enough already, now he's got this spill. The doors to the room open wide and... Mrs. Carlson enters. Hello, Andrew. (laughs) Of course, Andy is in the most compromising position possible. He's on all fours on top of the pool table. He looks around. Hey, hi. uh, Hi, hi. How you doing? I see you've been making yourself at home. Oh, yeah. Mrs. Carlson asks Andy if he'd like a drink. Andy tells her no, he just had one. Then Andy moves his jacket away from the stain on the pool table. Matter of fact, Miss Carlson, I just spilled it right there on your table. Andy apologizes as he drapes his jacket over the back of a chair. I wish there was some way I could make this up to you. Smiling, Mrs. Carlson walks over to Andy and gets pretty close to him. Let's uh, think of something. (laughs) Nervously, Andy backs away. Mrs. Carlson is following closely. Uh, Miss Carlson. Lillian. Uh, Lillian. Lil. Lil. (laughs) Lil. You can almost see Andy's heart beating right out of his chest. He keeps moving. Moving away from Lil, he tells her they should talk. About what? I'm not sure. Are you uncomfortable around me? Yes, sometimes. Well, I'm sorry if I put any demands upon you. I mean, I wouldn't use my position as your employer to enforce a relationship. Oh, I know that. It's just that I care for you very, very much. Two of them circled the pool table two or three times during this conversation. During the circling, Andy's hand passes over the spot where his drink spilled. This is drying. Feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Mrs. Carlson continues to torment Andy. She's having fun. She moves aggressively towards him, saying, They have a lot in common. We're both tough, we're both gutsy. I'm not gutsy. Neither one of us likes to beat around the bush. I don't mind. We both like the opera. I hate the opera. But you went with me nevertheless, I wonder why. With all this talk of opera, we had to check it out. The opera in Cincinnati is a pretty big deal. The Cincinnati Opera Company is the second oldest opera company in the United States, second only to New York's Metropolitan Opera. They've been performing in the Incredible Music Hall on Elm Street since 1920. We got to see the Music Hall on our recent Cincinnati visit. It is an amazing Mm -hmm. building. 
After being shuttered for two seasons due to COVID, the Cincinnati Opera Company is excited to be back with a full summer of performances for 2022. If I might be totally honest with you, I went because I wanted to talk with you about the new transmitter. Mrs. Carlson turns away from Andy. I see. She begins slowly walking the other way around the pool table. Now Andy is following her. Now I know that sounds bad. It's more than that, it really is. The choreography of this scene is as funny as anything being said. These two keep moving constantly, never missing a line, changing direction based on the direction of the conversation. We can see Mama's face. She is smiling as Andy continues following her and talking. She is really enjoying this. (laughs) I enjoy your company, Mrs. Carlson. I really do. You're bright. You're informed. You're... You're you're stimulating. Mrs. Carlson spins around on stimulating. She faces Andy very intently. It looks like they could kiss right there. They're so close. You really think so? Darn right. How do you mean? Now Andy is walking backward with Mama Carlson walking towards him. (laughs) Well, uh, that is... Andy's getting flustered. He turns his back on Mama, so now he's walking forwards and faster. He continues talking. That's very hard to put your finger on. It's an elusive kind of thing. Andy is once again passing the area where the drink spilled. He puts his hand on the spot. It's totally dry now. Mrs. Carlson puts her hand on top of Andy's hand, and he freezes. Andrew. Mrs. Carlson is behind Andy. She's leaning close, pressed into his back. Let's run away together. (laughs) What? To Los Angeles. They'll understand there. (laughs) Andy's having trouble breathing. He's taking these Short breaths, his chest moving in and out. My goodness, you can't be serious. Andy turns all the way around to look at Mrs. Carlson. You're not serious. You're joking. You're, you're, you're kidding me, aren't you? Mrs. Carlson turns her back on him and begins walking around the table. An anxious Andy follows her. Look at this, I knew it. You're kidding me. Aren't you kidding me? <laughs> Mrs. Carlson turns to face him. No, not at all. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> Poor Andy. Poor guy. He turns. His knees almost go out from under him. He turns and props himself up on the pool table. That bad? Oh, no, 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 not bad. But but, but you're pulling my leg and I know it. Mrs. Carlson is walking towards Andy. Andy starts slowly walking backwards. <laughs> now, you can't kid a kidder, Mrs. Carlson. You can't fool a fool. Pool. Let's play some pool. What do you say? <laughs> Heck Yes. Heads over to grab a couple of cues. Heck yes. Man, is he panicking. (laughs) As he reaches for the sticks, he pulls the wall rack off the wall and all the cues fall out. The balls across the top come tumbling off onto the floor. (laughs) They're rolling everywhere. Mrs. Carlson, by this point, is leaning on the pool table with her back to the whole mess. Mr. Travis, Instead of destroying my home, would you uh, care to sit down and talk? Andy turns slowly. Yes, please. WKRP in Cincinnati. We'll be back after this. Phew. (laughs) That was intense. It was cringy, cringy and nerve-wracking. But hilarious at the same time. So funny. We are in Mr. Carlson's office for the capper scene. Mr. Carlson is talking to Les. We've talked about this before. And I don't know why you do it. It, it, It's a sickness. Les is sitting on the couch. I'm a newsman, Mr. Carlson. It's my instinct to disseminate information the minute I hear it. Mr. Carlson leans down to be face-to-face with Les. He tells Les that to spread rumors is childish and unfair. And to suggest that Andy and my mother were... Uh, Mr. Carlson swallows hard and stands up. So you want me to keep it a secret? Yes. No! (laughs) Nothing's happening! (laughs) Andy walks into the office. He asks Art if they could talk. Art tells Les to leave. Oh, that's all right. Les can stay. Andy walks right up to Mr. Carlson. Why didn't you tell me what your mother was up to? Carlson begins walking backward, Andy continuing to walk toward him. Well, I, 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 I wanted to, but I, I wasn't quite sure what it was. Uh, what, what was it? Went quite well, actually. Oh. Yes, we had a couple of martinis. She kidded around a little. And then it got kind of romantic. What? As they start to move around Art's desk, you can see 
we're getting a visual callback to the game room scene. This time, Andy is the aggressor. He learned from the best. <laughs> Andy tells Mr. Carlson he and his mother have quite a lot in common. You're not serious. Les jumps up from the couch and he heads for the door. We're not sure if he's uncomfortable or just itching to go spread this new information. Les, stay put. Andy tells Mr. Carlson he is serious. She's a stimulating woman. Mr. Carlson has a disgusted look on his face. Oh, damn, this is crazy. <laughs> you're, you're, you're pulling my leg. I, I can tell. You're, you're, you're kidding. Huh? Aren't you kidding? Andy tells Mr. Carlson he's not kidding at all. Don't worry about it, Mr. Carlson. It'll be nice. Art seems to be buying it. <laughs> Andy puts his arm around Art's shoulders. We can go to ball games together. <laughs> You won't even have to call me dad. Les can't stand it anymore. He has to tell somebody. Les opens the door and runs out of the office. Art is calling after him. Les? Art turns to Andy. You can't kid an old kidder, Andy. Andy just is not stopping. He is relentless. He told me that I had nice hair. And Andy lets him off the hook. And then she told me to go home. He opens the office door and walks out, shutting the door behind him. Art turns from the door and lets out a deep breath. He stands for a moment, scratches his face thoughtfully. Does have nice hair. And the screen fades to black. Such a fun kind of goofy little episode getting Mama and Hirsch back involved. That was a good time. Love exciting and new. Well, Donna, what is up for our next episode? We will be discussing the consultant. Mother Carlson hires a radio doctor to evaluate the station. Andy's worried when the doctor threatens to write a poor review if the station doesn't buy his services. Andy figures out a great way to make the radio doctor look bad in front of Mama Carlson. Take note, fellow babies, the order we are following for the final episodes of the series is the actual air order as established by the research of Michael Hernandez using local TV listings. This order does vary from the Shout Factory DVDs. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, Make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPCast. And for more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPCast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us, WKRPCast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye now. May the good news be yours. The WKRPCast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!